0: Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Katrina Stanton.
1: I'm Niniash Brodsky.
2: And I'm Steven Zuber. Our topic for the day is going to be introduced. Uh, it's a topic that's been coming for a while. I think we alluded to it a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of our listeners wrote in uh, with a prompt that finally pushed us into getting around to talking about it. So Katrina's going to read that email.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this email is from Kelly. So, in the past, you've discussed rationality and how it could or should relate to emotion. From this, I've gathered that emotions are not the enemy of rationality, rather that rationality is a tool to guide how a person experiences their emotions. You've also discussed how emotional disorders, such as depression and anxiety, are treated, and that treatment will improve in years to come. Treatment, for the most part, gives a person tools to manage their emotions. However, this is not helpful for people who are apathetic on a general basis, as you cannot force people to care about things. Anyway, you've also discussed happiness and how everyone should aim to help themselves and other people um, be happy, I'm sure. (laughs) Your podcast on Kill All Humans is actually what got me to write to you about this topic, as it was largely focused on the value of emotions. In that podcast, a heavy weight was placed on the value of emotions to the extent it was debated on the value of emotions in comparison to the value of life. With this in mind, how do you factor in people who just don't care? What is the rational approach to apathy? I distinguish this from apathy as a result of depression, which can be managed. Does an apathetic person have less value because they may, for the most part, only have theoretical knowledge of emotions, and, as a result, can only establish objective reasons for doing things rather than subjective ones, which are probably much better at driving a person to action? How could a person rationally challenge an apathetic view on life? Or is this a debate that could never actually be won, therefore making it illogical to even attempt? Well,
2: we're definitely going to attempt it. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I sort of want to take it in order.
1: Well, I'm going to start with questioning how apathetic someone can be, because I, mean, I, I know there's lots of subjects you can be apathetic about. Uh, for example, I do not give a damn about most sports. If someone asks me what sports ball team I wish would sport the hardest, I would say I don't really care. But I know other people do. Uh, But a general apathy about everything in life is, I think, a sign of some sort of deeper disorder which probably should get some sort of medical treatment. Uh, Either depression or possibly a fascinating episode I heard uh, once of This American Life. Some people uh, just stop producing testosterone at some point in their life. And the, due to studies done on these people, uh, to was is sometimes nicknamed the hormone of desire because they stopped wanting anything. Like, one person had trouble ever even getting out of bed, not necessarily because he was depressed, but just because he couldn't think of why he should. No desire to do anything.
0: That sounds very zen.
1: Yeah, another person spent, like, way too much time in the toothpaste aisle looking at various toothpastes. I mean, to the point that it was impacting their life. This was hours because they were just, you know, analyzing all the different things, price comparisons, what's in this one, what's in this one, and there was so much to process, and no desire or emotion pushing them one way or another. They were, like, gridlocked and couldn't come to a decision. So I think we rely a lot on our emotions to, to propel us to work towards something. If there's really a general apathy about everything in life, I think that's probably a sign that medical intervention may be maybe a good idea.
2: It's hard to imagine living a healthy life if you're literally not motivated to get out of bed to use the bathroom or something.
1: No, I mean, uh, they, they would go to use the bathroom. Oh, sure. But,
2: um, I mean, some people might just be like, well, fuck it. Bathroom, bed, here, whatever, right? Right, right. Some people do make that decision. That's true. Uh, as far as the toothpaste thing, that sounds fixable with like just bringing a dye with you. and you know, right. But that's obviously not the point. Um, Apathy is a harder problem, I think, than just rationality's relation to emotion. But it's tough. I If there's... A catch-all way to combat apathy. I think it's, it's not super obvious. Um, there's certainly levels of apathy. You know, you're not going to engage Inyash on sports, but you can engage him on other topics. Oh. Um, so I, I mean, if it's, if it's fully general, this sounds like you've got a big problem. If you've got things that you just don't care about, one reading of your, of your email might be who doesn't care about, you know, rationality or the truth or things like that. We've kind of touched on that before and there's, If someone just isn't driven to care about that, I tried for a while to talk to people and convince them that they really do care about that, but they just don't think they do. You know, like, they care whether or not taking a left turn here will get them to work or not. On some level, in many, most regards to their life, they care about what's true. But as far as, like, a duty to epistemological... uh, Rigor? Rigor. That's a good word for it. Uh, Not everyone has that, and I don't know how to push that into somebody.
0: Or, yeah, let people want what they want. Right and care about what they care about. That's how we specialize in society, and that's how civilization works.
1: So he had a interesting question though, which I don't know how to answer. Being do or people, she. Oh she, right? They, right. right? He or she, they. Kelly, uh, Kelly's names. Yeah. Had uh, the question being, is someone who does not have strong emotions of less moral worth? And I don't know. I think it's an interesting question because, in my opinion. Emotions is kind of what humans do, right? That's our thing. That's we can make a machine to do anything that we can do physically better. Eventually, we'll be able to make a machine a machine that can do any of our uh, intel- intellectual tasks, cognitive tasks better and than we can.
0: We can make a machine to do emotions better.
1: Suppose they could, but at least an emotion is something that I feel is intrinsic to me. If someone can do accounting better than me, then. That's, they're just better than me at that, but no one can feel what it's like to be me and to have my feelings better than I can. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, to semantically push back on that point.
2: You could be modeled perfectly and have mm-hmm. something that could just feel what you feel times five. Mm. But I mean, that, that sort of defeats the point, I think, of what you're trying to qualitatively get at. I think as far as let people care what they care about, for the most part, I agree. Uh, I, I, I do want to push back a little bit on, you know, if you really care about the wrong things, and the wrong things being defined by... <laughs> that dog's not happy with you caring about the wrong things. <laughs> He's growling at the door. Um, you know, we kind of talked about, uh, with um, that episode with Steve on street epistemology, the... I don't know, if you if you just don't care, you know, about the truth at all or something, but, mm-hmm. you know, really the safety of the, the structural integrity of your car matters a lot to your the people riding in it, right? And if you just don't care whether or not it works, right? Uh, well, then the the people that are in the car with you will could come to harm. Yeah, you're being um, morally negligent. Yeah, but I mean, you know, to somebody who this, you know, say their local sports team is the most important thing in their life, eclipsed by nothing, and just you know, way above their love for their children and their wife, I feel like they're missing out on something. But it'd be hard for me to find a point to say, you know, you're you're having feelings wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, the, uh, the sports teams are meant to be as a hack of the human tribal emotion, to really stimulate that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but I mean, that's like, you know, if you cared more about... And then, so I get what, where it's going and what it comes from, but, you know, if you care more about that than you care about, like, literally your own children or something, mm-hmm. I feel like you're doing something wrong, but I, I would have a hard time pinning down in an argument with you about what that could be. We, so, spent, so. Yeah,
0: Go ahead. we spent a lot of time um, when we were talking about animals and the moral worth of animals... You know, assigning different moral worth. So, I thought, Inyash, that um, if you're going to assign moral worth to another being, that it was based completely on intellectual ability.
1: It, well, intellectual complexity, and that is that is also one of the reasons that I would uh, answer in the negative to his question. I think that people who feel different. Their question. Sorry. Uh, thank you. I think that people who uh, who feel emotions at different levels should be treated the same way. If I mean, if nothing else, partly for game theoretical reasons, you don't want the people who have the most intense emotions and screaming tantrums to be the people that are most important in society, right?
2: There is something to be said about the last line here. Is this a debate that could never be actually won and therefore making it illogical to even attempt? Um, If the person you're engaging with is simply not motivated to interact with the conversation, it'd be kind of pointless. You know, if, if they really just if they're not moved to care about it, or if they they don't see any motivation whatsoever to reanalyze, I think we've talked about motivation before, mm-hmm. and that's that's sort of uh, you know a related issue. I feel like I'm coupling, whether improperly or not, the concepts of general apathy and lack of motivation. Is are those things discernible? Am I missing something?
1: No, I think they're basically the same thing.
2: I mean, I think for most things that matter, I think they're they're close enough, but. As far as the quote, from this, I've gathered that emotions are not the, quote, enemy, unquote, of rationality, rather that rationality is a tool to guide how a person experiences their emotions.
1: Yeah, that's
0: a good
2: one. We agree, I think. Christina, would you agree as well?
0: Absolutely. You know, I actually Reading... talked about
2: it before, so I knew that I have to pull <laughs> you on it.
0: Reading this post made me think about empathy and um, some of the rationality practices to guide emotions and increase empathy and, um, increase understanding and communication with others, um, that they do, for example, in the Columbus, Ohio rationality dojo. Yeah. So.
1: What do. Can you give us an example of what they do?
0: I wish I could.
1: Ah, oh, okay.
0: But we're getting started with, um, one here. So hopefully yeah. we'll be able to get into some of that practice ourselves. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that, uh, a lot of people misunderstand about rationalists because... Like, the prototypical rationalist is Spock, right? He He's the guy who has no emotions and thinks through everything and is always very calm and logical. And yes, I mean, in some ways, he's sort of a hero and an aspirational model, but he was really abused on Star Trek and uh, is not the way any real rationalist would act, especially because none of us are half-Vulcan. Yeah, so- especially for that reason. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Although the first half-Vulcan that signs up to be in our... Rationalist group would be welcomed with open arms because that would be awesome. So,
2: two things on Spock, really quick. One, yeah. the the Hollywood arch- Hollywood archetype of of rationalist is sort of Spock, and the the term that I think TV tropes coined was Straw Vulcan, or yeah, Straw Vulcan, mm-hmm. and that's that's sort of where people picture the rationalist in that sort of sphere where Spock is calm at points where it would be radically irresponsible for him to be perfectly calm, you know, and mainly. I, I wasn't a huge Star Trek watcher. I don't know if I ever saw a complete episode, but I did see one of the new movies or two of them. And what I saw is that he doesn't not have emotions; he has them and feels like he has to suppress them out
1: of some stupid duty. Hmm. And the new Star Trek isn't as good, though. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's really not. I'm not as big fan of the new ones. It had my, it had
2: my boy Benedict Cumberbatch in it, so right, right. Uh, you know, um, Cumberbatch. Isn't it Cumberbatch? Yes. Cumberbatch, what'd I say? Cumberbatch. Back. Oh, whatever. He's <laughs> not German, but... <laughs> Benny,
1: <yeah>. Benny comebacks.
2: <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of bullcrap, because I like... First of all, emotions give us meaning, because us a purpose, you know, they're fun to have, right? But, uh, and really, if, if something isn't fun, why are we doing it in the first place? But uh, emotions are also a tool that tells you how the world is, and how you can how you should be rea- uh, reacting to it. If mm-hmm. something is unjust and you feel that that righteous anger that is telling you that there's something wrong with the world and you should fix it. I liked um, Eli. Eli- hmm. I got to start saying his name right. Please say his name right. Uh, I met him at Worldcon and had dinner with him. And he, I asked him, is, have I been saying your name right? And he's like, I don't know. How do you say my name? So I said his name like I normally do. And he's like, no, it's Eliezer.
0: Yeah. I see. Just like it's spelled. Amazing Eliezer
2: and Eliezer That's the difference Eliezer Yeah Just like What
0: are we saying Eliezer is what you told us to say Well (laughs) I
1: assumed at some point He In the past five years Of doing the podcast He had heard me say his name And would have corrected me Or something Really quick
2: (laughs) It's Inyash Not Enyash Right Uh, Either one will work But I generally introduce myself As Inyash Yeah That's how I heard it On the HPMR podcast Okay Read by Inyash Brodsky Yeah Um, E E works all He's right. a good one. So I wanted to, to jump back really quick. This is a little out of order, but or
1: should I should I finish what I was saying that he was saying? Please. Okay. They well, Eliezer does go by he.
0: Oh, sorry. I thought we were talking about Kelly again.
1: No, no. Uh, so he he once mentioned a dream he had where uh-huh. a sad thing that happened in his life was no longer true in the dream, and so he was happy. And then when he woke up, he was sad again. And he quoted the line that that which can be destroyed by the truth should be. And since the dream happiness was opposed by the truth, it was right for it to be destroyed. And his sadness upon waking was rational. And there is no truth which destroys that sadness. Because the state of the world was in that suboptimal position that he didn't like. And he said that this means that becoming more rational and having a better estimate of how the world is sometimes can make feelings more intense rather than less intense and sometimes we try to run away from the feelings by flinching away from them but if you study rationality and train yourself not to deny facts then your feelings can become stronger and they should be because they tell you you know a thing about the world they are a tool like any other
2: do they tell you a thing or are they a result of a thing
1: both, they will tell you that the world is not the way you want it to be, and maybe mm-hmm. you should go out and do something about that.
0: Yeah, we're we are a program that takes environmental information and processes it, and um, and then works off of off of our feed out, right? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Agreed. But I... are there any emotions that, if you had the opportunity to just delete them from your program, you would choose to do so?
2: Yes. Ooh, which one? I think this is one that you can do a software update on yourself and delete, mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, we can do free will in another episode, but my, my stance on free will makes the emotion of hatred more or less nonsensical. And it's hard for me to think of a, of a world in which that specific emotion is necessary. Emotions like anger and outrage
1: and uh action. What if you ran into uh, Voldemort? Like, not, not rational Voldemort, but canon Voldemort, who is just evil for the sake of evil.
2: I feel bad for him. That's exactly my, my my favorite real world example of Voldemort is Uday Hussein. Okay. Um, yeah. Psychopath. Uh, to drive that home, uh, Saddam Hussein's son. We we uh,
1: we should just let people use their imagination. It's pretty shitty. This thing. Somebody. I doubt it's good enough, but that's all right. Okay.
2: So take my word for it. If you if you want, write me on the subreddit, and I'll I'll uh, I'll link to some of his his uh, dastardly deeds. Mm-hmm. But I don't hate Uday Hussein. I feel really bad for him.
1: His dad was Saddam Hussein. What if he did those things to someone you loved? your mother or your brother
2: i think i would so there's there's a couple of ways i don't know i mean i might hate him for it but at the same time it'd be kind of like hating a force of nature right like it's not he's not really the ultimate author of who he is he's a victim of who he
1: is you can't change uh nature by raging against it and you can at least in theory change people by raging against them You can alter their incentives by letting them know that you will murder the fuck out of them if they do that. And you can also signal to the rest of society, hey, if you act like that guy did, I will also murder the fuck out of you. I think think...
0: that murdering people should probably be divorced from hate.
1: I think... And
0: And more in tune with it has to be absolutely necessary. Yeah, yeah. For... The continuation of other people's lives and happiness. I think that's exactly it. You, you can
2: completely divorce the two. Is you know, if I if I saw Uday Hussein, I'd probably kill him. If I whatever was on a battlefield or something, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not his fault who he is. It's just it's an unfortunate thing. But, but because hatred. of because of who you are, the world would be a better place without you. And there's, right. since there's no way, since there's no other way to fix you, but uh, hatred
1: is the thing that makes you hunt the six fingered man for twenty years until uh, you can revenge your father's death, right?
0: I, and that's not helping anybody.
1: Actually, you had a great little. There was
2: there was an amake on uh,
0: vengeance the, for however for twenty years. I mean, come on, it it, it, it,
1: it makes pre- a good story. Writer. It makes a great story, but, <laughs> but it also, at least in theory, uh, dissuades that sort of action.
2: There was a uh, an amake on somewhere in the latter. Half of HPMOR, HPMOR. Right. Um, and it was just little short, short story snippets from people. And I quoted this one, uh, to somebody in a class once, and then I was reading through it again, and it was actually you who submitted this one. And it was, do you remember it exactly?
1: It was Rationalist Moby Dick. I don't
2: remember it word for word, but I remember what it was. It was, I think it was two lines. It was, revenge against what? A whale?
1: No thanks. I'd rather get on with my life. Right. Right. And so, (laughs) getting revenge on a whale. Does not change anything. The whale doesn't know why you're killing it. Other whales will not be dissuaded from eating people's <laughs> legs. There's no point at all in taking revenge on a whale.
2: I think Katrina's point, though, was solid that you can divorce the the necessity of killing bad people uh, or bad or dangerous people if you have otherwise. No up- and you really should. And you really should. That's the safe way to uh, think. Especially if you if you if you're a person who is full of hate, and you want to be able. You know, it might not be the best guide as far as far as who needs to be quote killed. Or I guess mm-hmm. not on, not quote but you know, killed or otherwise fixed, and there's no other way to fix them when there's not really yet. Maybe other than good incarceration. But that's sort of a band-aid. Hatred probably would be a good one to get rid of. So, that would be my emotion to get rid of. There was a great discussion... Wait, we gotta ask Katrina what her emotion is to get rid of.
0: I've been thinking about that. Um, I agree with hatred. There are a lot of negative emotions that I would get rid of, actually. Um,
2: The other one that came to my mind had some other utility. But I'd be curious to... See what other ones you're thinking of. Like sadness in general?
0: There are a lot of emotions that I would at least turn down the volume on. Right. Massively. Like, do the little, oh, let yourself grieve. And then instead of having that go on for years, maybe just, you know, switch it off after a couple weeks. Wouldn't it be nice? Especially for people who have emotional disorders.
1: I think that's a good point, that there's a lot of emotions that are useful and you wouldn't want to get rid of them at all, or entirely, but you'd want to be able to moderate their effects.
0: Hatred, I'd get rid of just entirely. I don't want that in my life. Sadness, anger, pain.
1: I think I'd like to get rid of jealousy.
0: Oh. Jealousy Mm. is
1: just... Yeah. I've never met a situation where it's been a good thing. So,
2: I'm trying to think of... I was actually trying to hash this out last week. Uh, there were some people in my class who were just excelling way above the rest of us, mm-hmm. and uh, jealousy wasn't the right word for it. And then we finally settled on salty admiration. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what jealousy versus envy versus salty admiration? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what is jealousy? Down to that definition, just so, so
1: jealousy is when you don't want someone else to have something. Uh, which is why, um,
0: (laughs) versus you want to have something that someone else has also. Yes, that's envy. Envy Envy is
1: wanting what someone else has. Jealousy is wanting someone else to not have the thing. Uh, like you don't want someone to be smart. You don't want someone to have the good things they have. Or in the case of Jehovah, you don't want different gods to have the worship of your people.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Jealous God.
1: Got
0: it. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Oh, sure. So, I, I, I understand the, the usefulness of envy. Uh, it, you know, it can push you. Like, I want to be as admired as that person is, so I will go forth and try to do admirable things. But jealousy, just, I want that person to not be admired. Like, I don't want to better myself. I just want to worse than them. Just, it's an ugly emotion.
2: I agree. It's an ugly emotion. I'm trying to think, you know, other than like the situation where, say, if, you know, I wish it, Saddam Hussein wasn't in power, you know, if this was 15 years ago. Right. Uh, that sounds like an... But that sounds kind of like you can separate it. You're not jealous of him no. in, in his station. You just, you don't yeah. want him there because of his negative utility. Okay, exactly. yeah. So I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, that sounds like another good candidate. Um, um,
0: I was thinking, um, in More Than Two, they address jealousy. Of course, that's the polyamory book. Um, and they talk about it as a... Com- I have no idea if they know what they're talking about but they do discuss it as a composite emotion or emotion that springs up off of other emotions and other things that are going on okay. and they see it as an indicator and an indication that you need to look at the root causes and figure out what's going on there Okay. so in that way through that lens it can be useful
1: I have found rationality to be really useful for, for regulating emotions but I mean sometimes you can't help what you feel but I, I have learned that... So, as, as I've mentioned before, I, I've, I'm somewhat depressive. I've had bad times earlier in my life. And I've, I've come to the point where I realize that I have to work out regularly. I have to get eight hours of sleep regularly. And every now and then I can skip a day or stay up late. But I really got to make sure to take care of myself. Because if I don't, things start going bad. And I really love depressive art. I love grim grimdark. Uh, but I I... I Make a point to always watch or read something on a regular basis that is just relentlessly optimistic. Mm. Uh, the early parts of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality did that for me. Uh, there was My Little Pony for a while. Right now it's Steven <laughs> Universe. You just need something that is, the world is great, and look how awesome everything is. Because otherwise, uh, you bog yourself down. I don't know if I have any input like
2: that in my life currently. The...
0: Relentlessly positive?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I get things that are relentlessly entertaining, but not, like, because they're positive. Do you watch Steven uh, Universe? I tried a couple episodes. I'll, Too give, it a, I'll give it another positive. Another Too positive. Okay.
0: Couldn't, so. couldn't handle it. Um, I, can I, was... do, I can do Adventure Time. Okay. I really, really enjoy Adventure Time. That's
2: hardly, like, all positive, though. Oh, that shit's grim.
0: It is intense. So. <laughs> um, I was... But it's cartoony.
1: It's true. I was <laughs> ambushed by Steven Universe. There was a recent episode, There, there is a tragic backstory in the past of it, there was a recent episode that focused on it, and it was just the worst time in the world, considering what's going on in my life, to see that episode. I was like, you betraying son of a bitch.
2: This, this is like Seymour the dog in Futurama.
1: That, they, oh, Futurama yeah. was like, what,
2: 12 seasons, and they did, they threw in like three or four crazy sad episodes out of nowhere. It's
0: Jurassic Bark. I cried. Oh my god, right? Oh. Yeah, that was devastating.
2: Don't watch it. Um, unless you're want a trip down the feel lane, you know, right. go for it. The other one that got me was, um, I forget the name of it, but it was the... Wait, ah, fuck it. It's a few drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get back on a point uh, with empathy. Um, I'll link to this episode in the podcast description of uh, Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up. He was interviewing, uh, I guess discussing, not, it wasn't much an interview, it was a conversation with uh, Yale psychologist Paul Bloom, who either just wrote a book or is writing a book. Uh, either titled or subtitled Against Empathy. That's the point of it. I forget what it's called. Mm. Um, he's careful to argue in the book, and no one who argues him argues with him in real life about the book has read the book, uh, just like uh, can happen with misleading titles. Um, his His book isn't against compassion. It's against empathy. And he says that, you know, people that we think of as psychopaths can have great empathy as far as being able to model other people, imagine what they feel, and you know that sort of thing and they danced around this this idea for like 10 minutes and no one used the word interwigan empathy right right
1: um so in the beginning of uh so he drew a a sharp line between empathy and compassion And right. compassion is the one where you feel What other people are feeling
2: Well, even that um, I think yeah, that would be okay as well No, no, it, yeah. I, I should have been more clear um, Compassion is more uh, caring about what other people feel okay. um, mm. And there's there's some respects to where It's important to have a, an empathetic capacity For, you know, say somebody you care about If they're mad They might not just want you to like agree with them But they might want you to actually feel what they're feeling okay. And so that sounds important But what he's talking about is not just you know the the tool used by bullies and psychopaths everywhere of manipulating people's emotions by modeling them correctly, but you can you can ruin people's rationality. And I guess we can talk about scope neglect and stuff during this episode. Someone asked about it in one of the comments. Scope neglect is the bias that people basically it falls down to the fact that human brains don't multiply on a uh, on an emotional level. So uh, otherwise called genocide neglect, um, yeah, where we're we're more moved by the little girl in a well than we are about a drought killing millions in uh, mm-hmm. the third world or something.
1: To quote a famous mass murderer, "One death is a tragedy. Tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic."
2: Right. Which murderer was that? <laughs> I
1: believe that was Stalin.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, the but part of nice
0: going, Stalin. Yeah, thanks, thanks, man. That <laughs> was thanks, awesome. Thanks for that quote.
2: So, the one of the aspects of, of bad or of empathy leading you astray is, um, you can be more moved by, you know, the, the girl that, you know, lives in your town who fell in the well and you could give $10,000 to aid her recovery for her broken leg or something from falling in a well, whatever, because, you know, she, she's close. So you can relate to her better, but that's so, that's a bastardization of what you should really, if you were thinking about it more fairly, what you should be doing with that charity money, if you're interested in helping people. So I think that that was more of his point, but it was a, it was a good discussion and it was uh, fruitful.
0: I'm pro-empathy in interpersonal relations. Right. Yeah.
2: I think so, too. And I think that he he saw the merits of it there. I don't know if he came right out and said, I think it's a great thing. But uh, I disagree with him on that point. I think that there's absolutely a perk uh, to having empathy in an interpersonal relationship.
1: But to not use it as your goal for... Not to use it as your metric for what you're going to give your charity money to. It sounds like two different things that we're talking about, right? So there should just be two different words. I think empathy is too big of a
2: word. But anyway, there, there was my... my five cents on empathy. I
1: think that was, that's one of those uh, conditions where you can use rationality to uh, guide your your reaction to your emotions. Absolutely. Like, you can feel your reaction to hearing about one girl being down a well, and then use that to think of, well, these 10,000 people are dying of, the, of what's what's the latest, Zika? Or Zika doesn't sure. kill people, but 10,000 people are dying There's of... It's always malaria. Well, okay, let's go with malaria. 10,000 people are dying of malaria right now, so I should... Try to imagine the feelings that I have for this one girl and multiply those by 10,000.
2: Realize that you can't and then just take your math's word for it, not your emotion's word for it. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, so they can do studies where, um, you know, they pull different groups. Uh, They'll show you, you know, one picture of of a girl in the third world and say, you know, look for... You know, how much money would you give to help her go to school and be fed and clothes? And they'll give X amount. Another group, they'll... Sh- you know, and then they can they can manipulate these things in the way that you'll give less to her and her brother, and less to her and her family of eight. Yeah. Which is weird, because you'd think that if you cared about her,
1: you'd care about her brother, uh, you'd think your feelings would double. I almost think it might be sort of the helplessness feeling. Like, I can help one person, but if you show me a picture of a village of a thousand people...
0: Mm -hmm. I can't
1: do shit about a thousand people. Just throw your hands up in the air and walk away. That
0: was the idea behind crowdfunding. I worked for a crowdfunding website for three years, and the thing that worked when you're looking for small donations from people who maybe don't usually give is to give them something small to donate to where they can really make a difference and see the outcome. Individual animals were far more successful than other projects on our website.
2: Yeah, and th- I think that's another aspect to it. You know, if you're just writing a check to Oxfam and you're never seeing where it goes or what it does, that that's sort of emotionally unsatisfying for people. Um, people would rather give money to a single homeless person on the street and feel like, I did more good with that, even though like, the money goes less of a distance, helping one person in the United States than it does
1: helping which, somebody. With- which feels like exactly what the argument that guy was saying, that your emotions are leading you astray. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what feels like transparency... And your ability to actually check up on what the on what the outcome is, um, yes, might absolutely be leading you astray. So, I'd say that organizations have to try really hard to do well in transparency and do really well at showing what people's charities dollars are buying.
1: Yeah. It also, oh, you want no, go ahead. Oh, it also works very well on just a personal uh, basis uh, between. For example, in my personal life, there's often times where I am really frustrated at something like, say, my significant other has done, and I just, I want to fucking storm out of there and be like, I am done forever, and instead, you look about the rest of your life, this, this works better if you've had some life, you know, lived in the past, you look, <laughs> you look at the rest of your life and you're like, you know what, every time this happened before, I got over it in a few hours. And then afterwards, I felt like an idiot. I'm just going to suppress this emotion and ignore it. And after a few hours, it blows over. And the next day, I am very happy that I did not storm out and that everything is fine. This is exactly where I want to be. Ignore that emotional spike for a little bit. And uh, you're good.
2: That's one of my tricks for dealing with or a similar trick for dealing with uh, things like grief, where I can say to myself, sometimes out loud or just in my head and be like, you know what? previous times you were gr- you were full of grief and then uh, you know you wonder is it we're going to get better what's happening but then things did get better and so all you have to do now is realize hey this is you know not that dissimilar to before in a year from now you won't be this upset about it probably not in a month mm-hmm. and so I mean you're not de- you're not destroying the emotion but you're you're taming it yeah. maybe is the right word for it yeah.
1: uh, I think that's one of the reasons it sucks so much to be a teenager oh man you, yeah. you haven't had those experiences where where you stopped Feeling that way You're like The rest of my life Is gonna be like
2: this Yeah I mean I imagine That's why little kids Are crying all the time Cause like you know If they, if they drop their toy That's literally the worst Thing that's ever happened In their entire life Right, <laughs> right.
1: So, They will never Get the toy back If past experiences any guide
2: <laughs> every, every new bad thing Is the worst thing That's ever happened To them And they just have No, no tools for dealing With it um,
0: It's tough to be a kid oh, yeah. It's so tough
2: there, There's another tool In fact this came up Last week again When we were talking About the salty admiration Thing so, so, part of, part of I think feeling rational is yes, letting your your uh, yourself accept that having feelings is completely rational in insofar as what you're feeling reflects what's actually happening, um, and that that's one key thing that's hard to get across sometimes is that the you should feel the appropriate emotion for what's actually happening, not for what you imagined. I think we we discussed this briefly talking about one of my high school professors' dreams or something. Yeah. Um. And his, or his his wife's dream and. Uh,
0: high school professors, huh?
2: Yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: Usually you call them teachers, but he was. You, you went to a place with professors.
2: He was, anyway. He was a professional uh, biologist, did all this cool stuff. He actually, him and a group of six other people put together something that you could put into, it was a gene that you could, they could put into potato plants that made potato-eating bugs not want to eat them. And they had this perfect setup. It worked out perfectly. They went to go patent it, and some major corporation had gotten around to it literally two weeks before they finished. Oh! Yeah, and they were oh. scoops. Pre was pre- the worst. Pre-royalties, this would have sold for like $24 million. And so that'd be, what, $6 million each? They were they were a little bummed. And then they um, all
0: wish that they had just stayed overnight <laughs> at
2: that, the lab and just, oh, just worked
0: or, a little bit harder.
2: Uh, <laughs> right? But um, part of what you can do... Professor might not have been the right word. I don't know. I admire this guy, so that's maybe why I elevated his, his station. <laughs> um, so some of, like I said, I, the, the trick about dealing with things like grief or stress sometimes or, you know, whatever it is, you can work and take kind of a future site look at it, right? Another way to do, I'm not sure if this is what you, an appropriate use of the, the, the terminology of outside view. No, it's actually not. So scratch that. That's another topic. Um, you know, it's like this kid who's doing really well in the, in the boot camp I'm in. Pre, you know 10 years ago i might have been jealous or envious um maybe there's envy but it's it's more like i said salty admiration like that's awesome he's kicking ass but you know previously i might be like well i wanted to be the best but then you know all it takes is kind of just one moment of reflection to be like did i really think i'd be the best at this uh you know whatever it is you're doing you know if you go to the olympics and you're running and usain bolt is owning you you can't feel bad about that did you really think you're the best runner on earth Knowing that you share a planet with Usain Bolt, um, so maybe, <laughs> what if Usain Bolt hadn't run yet, though? Right, so, maybe, but I mean, I guess yes. Olympics not not the best idea, but whatever it is you are at, right? So somebody is, uh, you know, more successful at something. You know, you have to just you you ask yourself. You know, when you are feeling bad about it, my technique is to ask myself the question: Did I really think that I was the best in the world at this? And the answer is. Usually, no. So I mean, that, that, always... that that sort of helps the emotion really taper down when you realize that it made no sense to feel that way.
0: I have a new technique.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I just finished reading Nonviolent Communication, mm. which I have mixed feelings about, but something that I thought would be really useful from it, and I've, I've used a couple times since then to kind of talk myself down, is to stay needs-focused. So maybe, Stephen, in your situation, you can think about... What are my needs? What do I, what do I need? Like, so, so what would you, when you're feeling, you can say, I'm feel <laughs> I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling jealous because this person is doing better than I am, is doing very well in this class. What are, what are my needs in this situation? I can do see you, that. Do you need to feel like you're doing well? How can you? How can you um, tell yourself that you're you're doing well, or that you're you're giving it your all, or um, and kind of stay self focused in that case?
2: I think that's a good avenue for dealing with it. I, I don't think I even really get to the point where I say I'm feeling jealous. It's more just like it. it th- this this technique feeling of frustrated maybe. But but even yeah, I guess. Um, but I I guess maybe I don't know if that was the right word for it. It really was just like man, that's great, but I wish we were all doing that great. Awesome. It, and it, it really was like, I'm, a ha- I'm happy for this person, right? Or whoever these, you know, all these people. It's, it's, a, it's a good situation for them, and that's awesome.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this isn't really the best example for my life as far as uh, an example of that, just because I there's really not any... The saltiness there was kind of just for the funniness of it. Okay. Uh, um, if, if it turned out where this person hadn't put in a bunch of extra work beforehand, wasn't uh, pretty much dedicating his entire life to kicking ass at this... And they just showed up and they were just some crazy savant who, you know, first exposure just understood it like the rest of us pick up English as children or something. You know, whatever, right? Like, it was just, it came to them as naturally as walking. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be really annoying. But no, he's actually working hard. Why, so, would,
0: that, why would that feel annoying to Because
2: why can't it be that easy for me?
0: <laughs> so what are your needs in
2: uh, that case? My needs don't change. Okay. Uh, you know, my needs are to get what I can out of the program. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that that doesn't change anything. Well, maybe as that far helps as... you
0: take your attention away from this person. It does. Who's amazing at that and, and focus more on being the best that you can be.
2: That's true. That's actually real, that's, that drove it home really well. Yeah. So, you know, um, an, a good example might be People with coworkers who suck at their jobs but get paid the same or more than you do. Well, how does that really affect you? It doesn't. It just kind of affects how you feel, right? So this is kind of like the stoic, you know, I can't change what's happening, but I can change my reaction to it. You know, you're still going to do your best and kick ass at your job and do what you need to do there because that's just who you are or something. And the fact that you've got a lazy coworker
1: doesn't really change you. Although Maybe that's an if-
0: indication you should ask for a raise.
1: Yeah. If you're getting paid the same amount but you're doing more work, that's that's a very good sign that you should be feeling a little bit of that unfairness and go to the boss and be like, "Hey, boss, you should be taking a little more of my way here." Do you throw the other person and be like, "This person sucks. They're constantly on Reddit," or? Like... <laughs> I wouldn't want to throw the other person under the bus. You...
0: Maybe you could measure. Maybe you could measure your output and be like, "See, my output is 50% more than everybody else in the office," and. Um... So, therefore, I should get 50% more money. I'll
2: cut your break, boss. How how about only 35% more?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you never know. It could be one of those situations where the boss is like, oh, yeah, but this guy, which you you don't notice, that he comes into work five hours before you do, does most of his work then, and then just doesn't want to go home to his terrible bitch of a wife, so he stays
0: (laughs) surfing Reddit.
1: You never know people's situations, but the point could be that maybe he's not doing less work than you, and your boss would bring that to your attention. True. Yeah,
0: and then you'd feel better anyway, and maybe a little guilty. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm a much better wife than that guy. Maybe try really hard not to throw people under the bus, but just uh, point out what great work you're doing, and uh, maybe it's it's higher. I, <laughs> I
2: think that, I think that's a good technique too.
0: Stay self focused. Yeah.
2: There was another one um, that sort of related to, I guess, gauging how you ought to react on things. There was a comment on. The post on Less Wrong, Emotional Tools for the Beginner Rationalist. And Kaj Sotala mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, which when I studied psychology Mm -hmm. in college was not, uh, was the only kind of, uh, psychotherapy I thought was really interesting. The rest kind of seemed all hokey. But psychotherapy, or excuse me, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT for short, focuses on your, the, the activating event from your, what's happening in the world, your belief about that event, and then the consequences of it. And, your belief and the subsequent, the, your belief is really the thing that you're in control of. The consequences flow from whatever you believe and the event happens out there. So, for example, here in the, in the comment, um, if someone smiles at me, I might either believe that they like me or that they're secretly mocking me. Two interpretations that lead to very different emotional responses. Mm-hmm. And kind of once, once you're mindful of that, when you're, when you're mindful of, you know, a powerful emotion that comes out of somewhere, and you think, wait, why am I feeling this way? And you look back and you say, wait, why? What I, why do I actually believe that? So you can kind of start asking yourself questions like, back to the quote here. Okay, what belief is causing me to have this emotional reaction in response to this observation? And does that belief seem accurate? Uh, that seems like a great way of dissecting a possibly wrong emotion. I would say, I think wrong emotion is a loaded term, but I would say an emotion is wrong in, in as
1: much as it flows from a wrong belief. Mm. Um,
0: or potentially it's a less-than-fitting or less-than-compatible emotion.
1: Right. I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, a lot of rationalists tend to be wary of emotions. I read something along the lines... I don't, I don't know who to attribute it to. I'll, I'll attribute it in the links. Um, but someone pointed out that we've learned to distrust emotional appeals. Uh, because in our environment, usually if someone is making an emotional appeal... That's a good indication that they don't have any good rational reasons for this. They're just trying to sucker you with like the the let's let's make America great again, sort of appeal, not to take this in a political direction, but there there are there's some rational arguments to be made, but this guy isn't making them. He's going straight for the gut. And so we've kind of gotten to the point where we brought uh, God, we ran into this in church all the time, right? Jesus loves you so much. He died for you. Are you going to betray that love? It was ah, oh, it's brutal sounds emotional really, manipulation.
0: Yeah, that sounds really guilting. It, it, and it is as extremely for guilting. politics. Yeah, every political message is um, appealing to emotion. Hashtag jaded. Right. So I'm so is sorry. Is that an actual
1: hashtag right now? It should be. It really really should be. Yeah. You can hashtag anything Maybe you have a Twitter account, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, we tend to <laughs> we tend to block out emotional uh, appeals, but. But that is kind of not the best thing necessarily, because then you block out not just the harmful people who have no rational argument and are only going for your appeals. You also block out the actual good arguments that have rational reasons behind them, but are also trying to motivate you. Because that's how anyone is motivated, right? By their emotions. When you see a patent troll going after people with complete bullshit claims and ruining businesses, you get pissed off. And if you ignore that pissed-offness, then you will not be motivated to fight these things, and you will lose the commons.
2: I hear you. I think that is... Is that your
0: cause, by the way? This is the second time that we've brought that up. That is not
1: my cause, no. It is It is a thing that infuriates me sometimes, and, and you just... the the only way I can <laughs> see to fight it is to... Because it is not rational to fight it if you're just doing a cost-effectiveness strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Fighting it in the courts will cost you millions of dollars. Paying the fine will only be a few thousand. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same thing as trying to fight the mafia when they come in and say, Hey, lovely story I got here. Be a pity if it burned down. Like, alright, here's your hundred bucks for the week. Don't burn down my store.
0: That's how they talk because they're from the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> yes!
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's a lot more expensive to burn down the store to try to fight the mob. But... If you get angry enough, you say, fuck it, I will I will absorb those costs and fight these people. And if everyone in society got angry enough, those people would not be able to extort others because the, all of society would be fighting them, you know? So this is why I, I, I try to stoke that rage sometimes.
0: Bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: I feel you.
2: I think... Hey, that was funny. I feel you. Um... <laughs>
0: Thanks for pointing out how funny
2: that was. <laughs> I did, well, it was an accident, then I realized that it was funny. Um, I think I want to clarify on, on wrong emotion. You know, like, uh, Eliezer, in, in there's a, well, this will probably be the first link in the post, uh, was the, the less wrong link, or the less wrong essay, uh, feeling rational. You mentioned the sad thing, you know, so he has the stream where it didn't happen, and he woke up feeling great. Well, that's that's a wrong emotion. The bad thing did happen. so that's, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense to feel as if it didn't. Because um, you want your feelings to line up with, with, with how the world
1: actually is. So I do have a question, though. How do we realistically block out the people who are just trying to appeal to emotions without having rational argument, without deadening all emotional appeals? That's a good question.
0: Just be skeptical. Okay. Just, yeah, just be critical. Think about it.
1: My, yeah.
0: Ask yourself a few questions.
1: I remember one of our earlier episodes when we were in Stephen's Closet, or, or Zuber International Studios, rather. Uh, we... We were discussing a John Oliver show, and I was I was kind of sad that I was not enraged by what I heard, and I just I felt like I had run out of emotional reaction, you know?
0: And really, John Oliver wasn't doing his job.
1: I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's because it's not his job, it's John Stewart's.
2: Whoa! Um,
1: so, what was I going to say? You were going to say how we can pull this awesome magic where we only care about the things that have good rational arguments behind their caring.
2: I think... You said it, Katrina, it's be, be skeptical. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, this is something that I try to do, if I find myself nodding when I'm reading something, I'll, when I catch that, I'll stop and go back to where I started nodding and then try and rip it apart because I, I find that, uh, if I, if I'm, if I'm, well, I guess not necessarily nodding, you know, but like if I find myself getting like yeah, that you know, feeling feeling good about it. That's awesome. I want to make sure that I'm not agreeing with it just because it makes me feel awesome. I want to go see if it can stand scrutiny. I, so then
0: if you have a strong emotional reaction to something, that's a signal to you that you should be a little bit critical of it. Agreed. Just give it another look.
2: Yeah. And and the truth can withstand that 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 scrutiny. And then by yeah. then go forth and feel. Um, yeah. If if
1: there is truth behind there, then your emotions will stay.
2: Exactly. Nice. So you know if it's. Uh, you know, a moving political talk from a candidate that you know you don't find just gut wrenchingly disgusting, you you can you can find yourself enjoying the thing, and then uh, you're like, wait, I just moved by a political thing. That's that's gross. Let me actually think about what they said.
1: I think one of the best things you can do is seek out dissenting opinions. I I just earlier today shared on Facebook a, a post that made me sad about a church that refused an atheist's an atheist group's money for uh, for their charity. It was like some orphan kids thing. And the church was like, no, sorry, your atheist group name is associated with the money. We will not take this money. And I was very disappointed by that. And then Julia Galef pointed out, there are certain people that we probably wouldn't take money from either. Like, if our politician took money from the Koch brothers, we would be like, what's going on here? What, you know, and I I personally think that a lot of scientific organizations should not take money from the Templeton Fund because, or the Templeton Foundation, because it gives them false legitimacy. They're like, yes, we are funding all this great scientific research, so we should be having a voice in the scientific conversation. And they're just people trying to, you know, make apolog, apologetics for uh, why God created physics.
0: Is there anybody who you wouldn't take money from?
2: Really feel like what the Templeton Foundation is... Uh... An, an organization that will basically give scientists money for saying nice things about religion. Yes. Uh yeah, so Thank you
0: for clarifying that.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, that's an interesting point. I just came back from Worldcon last week and Worldcon uh it's 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 the World Science Fiction Convention. They give out awards for the best novel of the year and so forth there. Uh the past two years, this group of alt-right people who call themselves the either sad or rabid puppies, depending on which particular group is doing the the trolling, the puppying, yeah, the puppying, yeah,
0: Aww, that's way <laughs> too cute.
1: <laughs> that, yeah has been um has been trolling the the awards and nominating, basic, for the most part terrible stuff, but in every case, uh, stuff that is very far to the right politically. Uh, they nominated Space Raptor Butt Invasion because they thought it would be funny to have gay porn in the short stories. Which hilariously backfired on them. But, that's besides the point. Uh, if... I, I viscerally hate these people for what they are doing to the science fiction and fantasy uh, work community right now. Because I love the community, I love science fiction and fantasy, and having these alt-right assholes jumping in and having their tantrums all over it is annoying. Uh, so if they were to give me money, I would very happily accept it. That is money they don't have to pursue goal, their goals, and they're giving it to me, and I can pursue my counter to their goal goals. So I would gladly take money from them. But on the other hand, there is a, uh, a publisher that is char- leading the charge for one of these groups called Castelia House, and they publish some uh, sci-fi authors, and if they wanted to publish the book that I am currently writing, I would say no. Get the fuck away from me. I don't care how much you're paying me or what royalty rates you'll give me. I do not want my brand tarnished with your name.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's an interesting thing.
1: So, So, uh,
0: if, if you... It would be... Since you have an actual brand, but, like... I mean,
1: anyone who has a name has a brand, right? Yes. There's there's the Katrina brand that you give to your friends and family. There's the Steven brand that you show to your friends and family.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess it would be funny. Julia Gayliff, by the way, runs the Center for Applied Rationality, um... She will, if you if you look in the comments for the, or if you look in the episode description for this episode, she gave a talk on the Straw Vulcan, which will be linked to because we talked about that earlier. Yeah. Um, I wonder would she turn down a ten million dollar check from the head of the KKK? You know, given how much good her, organiza- her organization could do with a spare ten million dollars, right? Uh, that sounds at some level you'd be like, fine, a billion, whatever, right? So like at some point, <laughs> at some point you're like, yeah, I'm a, I'll sell out for a billion dollars. <laughs> right. you know, there's, there's very little I wouldn't go on TV and endorse for a
1: billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but, wow! Uh, Especially because with a billion dollars, the next day you could buy hundred million dollars of advertising, saying, "Just kidding, guys! I only did it for the billion dollars." True. And I look at gonna... all the
0: look at all the great things we're going to do with this billion dollars. Exactly. exactly
2: including Tony Stark style Iron Man suit nice <laughs> yep
1: I mean how much could it cost not a billion <laughs> I don't know doing the research in basic physics to get to the point where we can make one could easily cost far more than a billion dollars mm-hmm. shit well I'll have to refactor my plan then um, <laughs> I would like to very briefly touch on uh, anger I just because I found this interesting I'm not sure how relevant it is to our discussion but yeah, it, it was fun Someone recently postulated, when they were trying to figure out what the fuck anger is actually useful for, that anger is nature's way of pre-committing. Uh, when we were talking about, uh, what was it, three episodes ago, Game Theory? that Chicken? Chicken, yes. It's throwing the, the steering wheel out the window. Anger is like nature, because every time you get angrier, you just get stupider and make worse decisions and have less control of yourself. Uh, anger is nature's way of letting the surrounding people know, if these things continue to happen, I will lose control of myself and make bad things happen to everyone around me. It is like having your steering wheel thrown out the window. And I, yeah, it's it's a very interesting analogy. And you can see how some people, like those people who were very large naturally in their youth, would find good results from having anger. And so... The, the it gets reinforced and they just start throwing the, the steering wheel out the window every five minutes, even in situations where it would be a really bad idea.
0: Don't mess with her. She's crazy.
1: Right. And other, other people who manage to tamp that down always stay in control of themselves, but sometimes having that sort of pre-commitment can be good in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Because it'll dissuade people from doing the things that make you actually lose control.
2: It sounds like a puzzle to try and figure out when you ought to pre-commit. Because if you're angry, you're not, in the best, you're not in the best position to make that judgment call. No. So maybe, like, you get pissed, and then you cool down and think about it, and then you decide, this is this worth getting pissed about again?
0: I don't know. I remember when I was a little kid, and I would throw in tamper tantrums. I would consider it beforehand.
1: We would. Oh, man.
0: Until a certain point, at which point I was no longer able to, because I had done too many temper tantrums. But, um, yeah, when you're a really little kid, you're like, is this worth temper tant it's going to be it's going to be a lot of energy it's going to huh. be a lot of time yeah you can choose yes or no
2: wow i don't remember being a child that well to know if i had anything like that but if so I'm, i either i now need to give children more credit and <laughs> uh, they're now better recipients for being genuinely disliked for their behavior <laughs> i used to just treat them kind of like animals it's like or non-human animals where it's like oh you're you're basically some mindless non-reflective you know person you, have to you give just
0: them better incentives
2: Yeah, but it's just interesting that I'd never considered the idea that some some kid could be, you know, who's old enough to get away with a temper tantrum could think, I wonder if this is worth the trouble. I always sort of just assumed that it happened spontaneously, that they were just like, I'm pissed and I'm going to freak out for 15 minutes. I
0: think it also does happen spontaneously. I know as I got a little bit older, um, I, I did lose my ability to control it. But I have very strong memories of being very young and... Ballpark how old? ...choosing... I don't. um, I don't remember preschool. Holy shit,
2: that's crazy! I have yeah. no memories of sitting in my room school. and
0: being like, "Well, I am exhausted. I have been temper tantruming for a while now. Uh, is it worth it to go on?" I'm like, mm-hmm. "I'm in this for the marathon."
1: <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> you were a rationalist from day one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's crazy. Of course, that'd be some cost fallacy, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a strong uh-huh. rationalist at preschool, but no. <laughs> on, the, on the path. <laughs> I think that's everything I could think of for this for this particular topic. Uh, I'm sure there's more. We'll have a discussion if anyone wants to get more into it, either via email or in the subreddit um, or a comment on the website. And if you guys are down, we can move to the uh,
0: the Conspiracy dot com.
2: That's right. We can move on to the uh, feedback section if you guys would like. Sure. Emotions.
0: Feedback like section. Section.
1: Section. Would give four out of five. Would feel again.
0: I guess I should probably clarify about the beaver poop thing.
2: <laughs> this this is the question that people were unsubscribing over.
0: <laughs> Wait, what? Unsubscribing? No, not really. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she
2: doesn't even know. Sh- she doesn't even know her shit. Literally, I'm Hello. out of here.
1: Well, while you guys are looking that up, I will say we had a comment that the day, I believe, the very day after our episode on street epistemology aired, blab dot that I am or I O mm-hmm.
0: what is that it,
1: it, it's a site where people would go to chat with each other about whatever topics they wanted to chat with and other people could watch them chatting uh it's shut down the day after so you cannot go there anymore the, I contacted Steve about that and he said they're looking for another forum where they can chat right now and if they find one that they all like he will get back to me in the meantime I guess talk with friends and family
2: Yeah, or, you know, willing strangers, classmates, or something. Friends
1: is probably the best. Start this with your dogs first. Dogs are very forgiving of mistakes. That's right. Mr. Oliva says, We do have a high fondness for charismatic megafauna, like dogs or whales, because that way they look like us. This seems to me like a bad function to base moral weight on. We must be careful not to accidentally use that as a factor.
0: Yeah, you mean because they look like they're smiling? Dogs and dolphins. Dolphins have permanent smiles so people think that they're having a great time when they're really super stressed out.
2: Dogs have eyebrows that are very expressive.
0: Yeah. Uh, that makes that, us
2: empathize with them a little better.
0: But they like... I mean, that's good for dogs.
2: Right. But, but like... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, a good counterpoint, I think, was a George Carlin joke, which was, like, if lobsters look like puppies, we, there's no way we would drop them into boiling pots of water to yeah. eat them. But because they look like science fiction monsters, we have no problem with it. <laughs> so uh, I agree with Mr. Oliver that 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 is not the the best metric to use and I I think none of us even implied that it was but it is something that we ought to have expressed outright that you know something could be gross and ugly and still uh, be absolutely worth moral moral consideration that ought not to weigh into it at all because as
1: humans we are motivated by beauty quite a bit
2: we didn't link at all to uh, three worlds collide in that episode did we we did not that might be a good link for those episodes or this one uh, there was an eight-chapter short story written by, you guessed it, Eliezer Yudkowski. At eight chapters,
1: it's not a short story anymore. It would be a novella. He's the expert.
0: Thank you. <laughs> sure.
2: Um, how short are short stories? One chapter? Short stories are
1: generally 7,500 words or less, oh. which can be up to two chapters in a normal book.
2: Well, of the two of us, he's the published author, so <laughs> uh, he wins that argument. <laughs> no, that's fair enough, a novella. Um, it was. It's an exploration of a... Somewhat distant future where super AI never really took off and uh, humanity bumps into not one, you guessed it, but three worlds collide. And uh,
0: humanity is one of the worlds though.
2: That's right. So there's, there's a clash of values that uh, plays on the the beauty aspect that Mr. Alleyball brought up um, as well as, you know, what is it okay for us to feel? How important our stuff versus their stuff? It's really cool. It's not that long. I would check it out and we'll link to it in this episode's description.
0: Yeah. Great. Um, honesty is for the birds. Uh wrote a few things, and one of them is, Honestly, Katrina, how can you be so blasé about eating beaver poop? Referring to the first animals episode. Well, I explained this on Reddit, but I'm happy to explain it on air as well. My professor actually um, said that we could purify out the Giardia cysts from the feces and put them in a capsule, and then I could swallow them. Just just those little cysts outside of the poop. So hopefully that seems a little bit more clean. If it doesn't seem less unethical to you, then I agree. I think that it's possible that he, and maybe even I, would have gotten in trouble for deliberately infecting myself.
1: What would be unethical about it?
0: Unethical for a college professor to help a student um, infect herself with a, a painful intestinal parasite.
1: I suppose I can see
0: that. Young, yeah, I don't think that would students. pass. I don't think that would pass any ethics board. It also wouldn't really add to science, probably that much. And yeah. like, oh, okay, we're going to do one thing where we see if we get a disease from beaver feces.
1: And he was your professor, right? He so, was my professor, so he right was behind. responsible for your grade as well. Yes. Yeah.
0: That would have been yeah problematic, but the kind of happy story is that when that didn't work out. I still wanted to do extracurriculars for because I loved parasites, and I wanted to, to learn more. So I went around and I like I swabbed a pigeon's throat. Pigeons are infected with this really gorgeous um, parasite. Yeah, like um, all pigeons... I- I'm
1: making a disgusted face right now because I do not consider parasites gorgeous in any way.
0: And it's related to um, Trichomonas vaginalis.
1: Oh, that sounds even worse.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a very similar parasite but it lives in the crop of pigeons so that was super interesting and you know because of the way that birds feed their babies it's passed down from from mom to, and dad to chick. so that was cool so,
1: so hold on you didn't say what beautiful means in the case of a parasite like what mm. made it beautiful to you
0: it has a kind of spiral swimming pattern okay. and kind of a spiral uh flagella if you look at it under the microscope I think that as far as parasites go, it's a quite nice looking parasite, very graceful. Uh-huh. And then um the other thing, the other thing that I did in that class um was I was a dog walker at the Humane Society. So I took fecal samples from the dogs that I was walking when they went potty, kept that in alcohol, brought those in. And we found out that there was one puppy that had a sign on his cage that said he had Giardia. He did not have Giardia. He had Strongyloides which is a worm and it's treated by a different medication. Mm. So I was able to report that back to the humane society. Very nice. And our entire classroom smelled like shit. It was awful, <laughs> but we did a good deed. So yeah. that's the end of that story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Two things on that. One, we un- let-, let our, uh, our decision to be based too much on what we find personally aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most, the prettiest parasite could be the worst. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> it could and, well. And science has a long tradition of, of individual scientists doing stupid things to themselves for the for the betterment of science. Yes. Uh, so that's although
1: it's it's a little different when it's a student under the oh, guidance yeah. of a professor. If, if they
2: did it their, to their students, that would be a lot less cool. Right. If my so,
0: professor did what many parasitologists did and infect themselves with a liver fluke in order to get it from Egypt to the UK. Okay. Um, that would be a different story and still, still probably not a good idea. Well, you know, it's their choice though. Right. Yeah. His body. This is a really great comment from Westward 101. I don't think that any species should be eradicated, mosquitoes, sharks, or leopards. Individual species are a result of millions of years of evolution, a natural process unguided by intelligence that battles entropy on a local scale. A process humans cannot replicate on timescales that matter to us. Natural uh. complex <laughs> I know. Natural complexity, natural anti-entropy, which exists in every living thing, is super cool, and super and cool are capitalized. On the complexity spectrum alone, that leopards exist is cool. That mosquitoes exist is cool. Smallpox is cool. They're less cool than mosquitoes. Judgmental much? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Are we defending smallpox, the killer of hundreds of thousands, the hundreds of millions? Right throughout history, I would I would say I, that
0: on coolness. Yeah. Compared to mosquitoes.
2: Let's put it like this: It's smallpox. Are they de- Uday Hussein of the of the of the uh, infection world? Right. Yes. Uh, you know, sure, they're cool, but and it's not their fault that they're killing everybody, and they don't do any good for anything other than themselves. But. Uh, for that
1: reason, you've got to go. Sorry. See, no, I I totally disagree with him. I would be more than happy to eradicate both, no. oh my goodness. both the, the common uh, contagious uh, species of mosquito, the one that carries all the diseases, and smallpox. I you don't care how cool they are. They are of uh, too much negative utility. Agreed. Well,
0: they haven't finished their... Okay. Uh, I haven't finished reading their comment yet. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Unless okay. they say JK
1: lol.
2: No, I'm kidding. <laughs> because
0: then they immediately say... And no, I don't think we should release variola back into the wild. Individual humans do have moral value too, and I think we should weigh the level of species complexity against the consciousness quality. Plus, I give more weight to my own species, as well as creatures that resemble me on those other qualities. But I don't think we should completely eliminate the stored smallpox samples either. Not from a selfish standpoint. someday we might want to examine them to benefit humanity, but because smallpox itself, or the species of leopard, have inherent value independent of humanity.
1: I think just because you managed to luck your way into not going extinct over a few millennia does not mean that you should, you have any right to keep on existing. I agree. I think I don't uh... think
0: that rights are a real thing.
1: Right. I. I <laughs> we should. We should have a. a more, uh, a episode on ethics. Cause I agree with you that rights are not actually a real thing at all. Mm-hmm. So I, well, so I think I, I used the analogy. Or inherent
0: uh, value. I, yeah. I said it on the episode that things have inherent value. Things have inherent value. Just like, I don't think rights are a real thing. I don't think inherent value is a real thing.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that things should be valued for themselves.
1: Okay. Like, like would you value smallpox just for itself?
0: Probably to research.
1: Right, that's the only reason I can imagine keeping it around because it is—it might be its genetic code might be useful to us for something. But he's saying, or they, she, oh my they, goodness. sorry, they are making the the claim. It sounded like that just the fact that it has managed to evolve and exist for this long is cool, and that's a good enough reason to keep it around. I think
2: to I, I agree. I think that's that's uh, that's a bad reason. Sorry. I mean, more dear. than anything else, just because there's a tiny chance it might get loose someday. And like the 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 benefit to smallpox of propagating again wouldn't be worth the deficit of it killing lots of things. So like kind of I used uh, an example did uh, the last episode or the one before. I think abortions are a bummer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like you know for 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 so, some of the same sentimental reasons you know like it the the odds of any one embryo ever existing are astrono- astronomically impot like out there mm-hmm. you know so so much that they might as well not happen. Uh, and yet here's this thing it'll be a person but i mean there's so many uh there are, there are many circumstances in which it's not worth the cost to to bring that 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 embryo to, to term and become a person for na list of reason so i think you can you can say yes let's destroy smallpox forever as long as we can confirm it's not going to be useful and it's kind of a bummer like it was cool but it's not worth keeping it around hmm. you know i th- i think it's okay to say Uh it's a bummer, but it's worth doing anyway. Just like it might be a bummer to kill a dangerous murderer. Well to turn that Mm.
1: around, should would it be a good thing to make as many infectious diseases that are sim similar to smallpox, but dissimilar enough that they're their own unique thing? Because it's less of a bummer to have to have a universe where they do exist? I don't know if I meant bummer in that way. If it's a bummer to get rid of smallpox, then is it a positive to create something similar to smallpox? I see what you're saying. Mm. Um Maybe,
0: then we could understand more about infectiousness and disease and pathogens but, but oh, for their
2: own aspect but for their own aspect but for their own aspect as coolness in and of themselves as the product of evolution I, I don't think so and i don't know if that's necessarily what
1: i was getting at say, it, now that i'm thinking about it, it might even be cooler than having evolved because this is something that we made as humans you know to kind yeah. of like show off yeah, <laughs> The stuff No, I'm too wrapped up in my own species now, I'm sorry No, you're good well, I She guess... was giving me an incredulous look
0: Yeah, I, I just wanted to clarify something um, step back for a moment about inherent value mm-hmm. um, What I mean is that non-humans should be able to also determine if something has value Like, that should count Huh Like, I'm not the only person who should be bestowing value on things Right Right
1: but you're saying like a beehive should be able to say that this field of flowers has value to them, and so we should respect their value judgment.
0: Yeah, at some point, yeah, at some level.
1: Well, I think if they they're... have made their value judgment, now let us see them enforce it.
0: Yeah, that was a weird enforcing <laughs> thing. Uh, but uh... you're channeling
1: Stalin again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was actually a U.S. president.
2: All right, you got a name. You got a name and shame. Oh, Jesus Christ. What, uh... Jesus Christ was never
1: present. president. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, I don't remember which one it was specifically. Uh, it was when the Supreme Court was not yet a powerful institution, and they were beefing with the president, and the Supreme Court made a ruling, and the president said, well, they have made their ruling, now let us see them enforce it. Baller. Yeah.
2: I mean, bad, but... <laughs> oh, now I wish I had... Memorize that quote better
0: there some salty Admiration going on?
2: <laughs> Jackson was one of my Favorite presidents Just for how hilariously Bad he Like for, He was, was kind of like A villain But he was He was just Funny about it There was that Anecdote about how Someone tried to Assassinate him And when The Gun didn't go off. He was beating the fuck out of the guy with his cane, and, and the president's own retainers pulled him off of him so he wouldn't kill him just from beating him to death. Oh, and I'm like, Th- that's the president, you know, winning a fight against an assassin. How cool is that? <laughs> um, yeah. So,
0: all right. Thank you so much for your comments, and we love reading them and trying to respond to them. So please continue to send them in um, on Reddit or on the website. The Bayesian Conspiracy.com.
2: That's the one. Okay. Thanks again. We'll come back in a couple weeks and uh thanks for listening.
0: Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.